And we're back. Hi. <laughs> always, always bringing the the high quality <laughs> content, like hi and bye. All That's right. right. I just thought I'd change it up a bit and say hi. Oh, we, okay. <laughs> well, hey, whatever you need to do, it's your show too. Okay. Um, <laughs> so we are back with another episode of Favorite Things. We took a little bit of an extended break. Uh, as we're settling into a new job and looking down the barrel of uh, another one. So, uh, this week, uh, we're kind of going to be all over the place, but uh, <laughs> Betsy decided this week that you wanted to talk about... What is it called? Turning Red? Turning Red. Yeah. Um, and we'll be finishing up Loki. Uh, and then... Uh, we may or may not have other stuff at the end of this episode. I haven't decided yet. <laughs> uh, a little peek behind the curtain. I will be talking about another subject. I don't know if we'll put it on this episode or not. So, yeah. we'll find out. Yeah. So, Turning Red. Uh, we watched this, uh, last week, shortly after it came out. Um, and social media reaction was divided to say the least. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and set the ground rules for our podcast. <laughs> um, just so neither you nor I go off on a diatribe about <laughs> social media. What we're going to do, uh, and this goes not only for Turning Red uh, or for Loki or for the third thing that may or may not be on this week's episode. Um we are going to talk about what we liked and yeah. what we enjoyed. Yes. And we're going to uh, talk about what we appreciate about it rather than responding to criticism. Yeah. Um, and this is, this is a ground rule I'm putting in place for myself and for <laughs> you just for the sake of uh, kind of the whole point of favorite things is that we talk about things we like and why we like them rather than going after other people's not liking yeah. them. I was really surprised though because I did make a Facebook post about it with the, um, with the link that you had shared me. I can't remember what the link was about Turning Red. Uh -huh. And just, you know, the comparisons that people are making to that in other Disney movies, which I agreed a lot with. Mm -hmm. And I made a Facebook post about that. And I was actually surprised that of the positive... Um, reaction I got. Mm -hmm. So, that was, I was a little surprised by that, but okay. I was excited, but there's still so much negative, but anyway. Yeah, that's we're going to... going to talk about that. Yeah, we're just going to talk about what we liked. We're going to stay away from that. <laughs> what, what we'll talk about instead is, um, first we'll go into this the same way we... we I'm trying to train myself as yeah. we approach any major pop culture thing, whether it's a movie, a video game, uh, even an album uh, anymore. Right now, so much of our uh, life is in the public eye. I was looking for the TV remote so I could turn it off. That's right it. Oh, I see. Oh, it's right there. Sorry. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> so with everything constantly being put out into the public eye, it's very easy for us to for everyone to have an opinion about everything. Yeah. Which is dangerous um, and cool, uh, but dangerous. Um, then when you get to things that are tied up with our childhood or emotions mm -hmm. or anything like that, whether it's Disney movies or uh, certain other intellectual properties, uh, for example, the, the recent Batman movie um, or... Uh, various things that have come out and been remade or gotten sequels or whatnot, the Star Wars movies and such, there's so much expectation of what's this going to be. Yeah. Um, that when it's not the exact thing in the exact way we remember, we attack it. Yeah. Or, or we, we become very critical of it. And I think that's, that's kind of a, a it's sad, but it's, it's also kind of disingenuous because more often than not when it's something that we experienced as a child like Disney movies 
we are neglecting the fact that we watched a lot of those movies as kids mm -hmm. and if we re-watch them as adults totally different meaning. we would have very different context yeah. um some examples i'm going to give real quick mm -hmm. out of that article i yeah i, I sent were um the fact that uh s stories like snow white and sleeping beauty uh deal with um fairy tale stories but they also deal with uh a lack of consent yeah uh when a uh male goes after a uh, a girl and in most cases these girls are uh in our modern context in society underage yeah um and those are things we don't think about because when we watch those movies we were kids and it's the prince kissing the princess and right. oh it's so sweet and so pure and honestly, I think a large portion of the intent behind those movies was sweet and pure. Right. Uh, but context changed, thinking about things changed. The, the way I view uh, things now is very different than I did then. So with that, we are about <laughs> to talk about a movie that is about 13-year-old girls. Yes. In the year 2002. Yes. Uh, not only 13-year-old girls in the year 2002, but 13-year-old Canadian-Asian girls in yes. the year 2002. <laughs> so it is a very specific uh, yeah. subsect that we're going to be speaking to, but it's also important to talk about context when we talk about this movie. So with that said, your pick of the week is Turning Red, Betsy Burdett. <laughs> Why do you like this movie? Oh, I liked it for a few reasons. Um, so as we got into the movie and, you know, I have no clue what, um, what it's going to be about, what Turning Red is. I didn't even realize that she's supposed to be a 13-year-old girl. You know, animation yeah. kind of makes it look like she's younger than that. Um, so I didn't know what this age of this child turning into a red panda was. <laughs> Yeah, all we'd so, all we'd seen was we we'd seen a trailer or two when we went to the the theater yeah, ages ago. And I got so excited about it. And uh, a little behind the scenes, Disney late game decided to pull this from their theatrical release and release it exclusively on yeah. Disney Plus, which I have heard had some not great uh, feelings from the production <laughs> staff, but it came out on Disney Plus last week. Yeah. Um, March 10th. Something like that. Um, but it was released to high critical acclaim, but divisive audience score. Yeah. Um, and we we really enjoyed it. Yeah. You and I did. So you were you were talking about discovering what this was, and yeah. as you were watching that first hour, what was this to you? It was a movie that. I wish they would have had that I would have seen when I was about seven or eight years old. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know your parents wouldn't have shown Oh, this absolutely, here. 100%. No but, way, it's inappropriate. But I don't believe that. That's just... that That's what the reason <laughs> yeah. would have been. But, right. But one of the things I like about it is, I think the top thing for me is it normalizes your period. Yeah. It, it normalizes the girl's period. And that, you know, people are talking how... Sorry, it goes into things that you said we're not going to talk about. But we're what we're going <laughs> to yeah. talk about is what we, what we liked like. about. So people are they're like, oh, it, this is inappropriate for for kids, for for young kids, all this thing. And I'm like, it is so appropriate. My mm -hmm. thought is because it normalizes something that starts happening from anywhere from eight year old girls mm -hmm. up until their teens. If so, everybody's different. So what you're what you're saying. To, to take this off of a right, response of, yeah. and turning it to a positive. So so what you're trying to say is this is this is taking something that as we were growing up, um, con conversationally and culturally, it was taboo and yeah. shameful. Yeah. Was that was that girls menstruated, which as far as I know, historically has been the case. Yeah. It's a normal part of growing up. It's part of puberty, and it's yes. It's one hundred percent normal, and should not be shamed. Should not you should not be embarrassed by it. But yet I was. Yes. Um, one hundred percent, and I did not want to go places 
when it was that time of the month. And, you know, I didn't want to tell people if... And that wasn't to do with how you felt. That was to do with how you felt you were perceived. Yeah. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and I didn't want anybody to know if there was an accident or whatever, which happened one time at church. And yeah. I was on the front row and it was boys behind me. And it was one of those things that it was so embarrassing. I didn't, you know... I didn't want to go back. I was a 14-year-old girl. I was just sitting there crying in the bathroom when somebody else came and found me crying in the bathroom. And mm-hmm. luckily, she was a teenager that could drive and lived right down the street from the church. And she rescued me that day and had a dress very similar to the one I was wearing. Yeah. Um. So it was just those things that just, you know, yeah, it was taboo. It was something that, you know, you don't talk about. You don't, you know, you, you hit it. Yeah. You know, um... So the fact that that's what, you know, turning red, you know, when she turns red, it's about her hormones and it's mm-hmm. just symbolic for her hormones. And yeah, by and large, it's, it's about puberty. Yeah. And I mean, it starts off the night before where she's all of a sudden this boy that she was disgusted by, like why her friends liked him, she couldn't figure out. But all of a sudden she found herself daydreaming about him and drawing pictures of him and yeah, and and these <laughs> these are normal. And these are the these are the drawings of a thirteen year old girl, uh, and the most sexually explicit drawing there is. Uh, first of all, all of the in universe drawing is right. anime style, right? And it's uh, the boy as a mermaid and her kissing the boy, and. Yeah. It's, do you remember how you described it to me while we were watching the movie of, of how you connected that with your, your story? If you don't, I, I, I don't. <laughs> if you don't, you can pick up at any point with what I'm saying. Yeah. And what the way you described it while we were watching the movie was, uh, I, what I had said was, this is a very interesting view into the mind of a girl who's going through puberty and discovering that she likes boys and discovering, for lack of a better term, her sexuality, where, and what you described was you remembered as a little girl having feelings, you put in quotes, about boys that you couldn't really understand. Yeah. And you knew you wanted to, and again, I'm using quotes, do things to boys, but you didn't know didn't, what those things would have been. Right, I didn't understand it. There was just something there. And and I remember connecting with you over that point of, I definitely remember around puberty knowing that I wanted to be with girls, but I had no, no idea what that entailed as far as actual sex. It was this, it was this weird it's this transition between childhood mm-hmm. and adolescence and adulthood where you're just, you're kind of stuck at this crossroads of, yeah, I, I still want to, I still want to play with Pokemon cards, but that girl looks <laughs> good. And it's, it's this weird transitional period. And, and what I, pun intended, uh, what I, what I enjoyed it, enjoyed it (laughs) what I enjoyed about this movie was it gave me a lot of insight into the the female headspace during during puberty for for this character because I know what puberty was like for me and I'm I'm not a woman I've never been a woman um but I I can connect to portions of her story as she's traveling through this really confusing kind of turbulent time and what was neat for me as we we watched this was not just the the puberty connection but also the cultural connection of she is an she is an overachiever yes and in a um in an asian family and i've heard several people from asian families describe those backgrounds as very demanding and high pressure and high performing and so when you mix all of that together you mix uh you mix things like periods and right. purity and oh, culture yeah. and uh 
and then you throw in another layer of the dynamics between a mother and her daughter. Yeah. And up to this point, she never wanted to do anything that would, um, what's the word I'm looking for? To go against her mother. She adored yes. her mother. Yes. Up to this point until her mom found her drawing. Yes. And at that point, things turned because she no longer could trust her mother. Mm-hmm. Um, because her mother, instead of understanding that she's a 13-year-old girl and she's going to like boys, and just because she drew pictures doesn't mean that the boy, you know, did something. Yeah, she, her response when she finds the drawings of the boy is, what did he do to my girl? Yeah, and so she drove down to the market where he worked, dragging her with him. And the drawings. And the drawings. Which other kids from her school were there, seeing what was going on, making fun of her. Yes. It it um, broke that relationship. It well. It, it ruptured. There was a rupture in the relationship in that moment. I think it was a combination rupture and exposure because yeah. I think watching this movie, I love that we're dissecting a, a PG <laughs> Disney animated film. Yeah. Um, but it it was good. It was. In my mind, it was it was a good piece of art. Yeah. Um, I I feel like the relationship that she had with her mother before then, and and it's unpacked as the movie goes on, was already not good. But yeah. when when the pressure was actually put on it to where the mother could show herself to be trustworthy. It broke. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the untested chair. A chair is great until you until you sit in it. Mm-hmm. Because any chair, if, if it has legs and it's standing upright, is a great chair until you sit in it. And at that point, you find out how great a chair it actually is. Yep, I have had a chair break under my rear end. And <laughs> and, and this relationship I think is is no different. Up to this point. The way May has been responding to her mom has been all yes, yeah. all yes. Duty. A- everything mom says, I do. Because yeah. mom said it, I do it. Because mom said it, I do it. And it's all obedience, and it's it's never it's never a point where she actually takes ownership of what she's doing in response to her mom's words. It's just parroting what her mom said. Yeah. And so this is a. Again, this movie has tons of layers, but this is a point where she has to really deal with, okay, can I trust you in this vulnerable place? Yeah. Can I trust you with, I have weird feelings that I don't even know what they are about boys. Can I trust you to know about that? Yeah. Because she hides it. And that's the first action. And she hides. Which that's normal. Notebook. Because... I'll be honest, if if I if I'm a teenager and all of a sudden I get these feelings and I'm drawing pictures of, of a girl in a notebook or I, I, I'm I'm trying to process through stuff and writing writing words, words about yeah. it, I'm trying to figure that and the moment that's exposed, that's one thing because everything eventually comes out. We right. live in a, we live in a digital age. One of the beauties of this movie taking place in 2002 is it removes a lot of the technological yes. baggage that we have today that would make this even more complicated. Right. Um, but in the day and era, day and age we live in now, everything gets exposed eventually. It, it doesn't matter. Did you do something stupid in high school? It's going to come out. Did you do something Did you do something stupid on the way home? Guess what? There are cameras all over the place. Yeah. Um, did you did you say something stupid on social media? It's gonna come back. All of this stuff comes back, and and so the question is not, well, will it be exposed? Eventually, yes, everything will be exposed. The question is, what then? How how does my parent respond to that? Yeah. Does because the the mom could have done a number of things. The mom could have been done what a lot of parents do and that she shuts the notebook and goes okay um we need to have a conversation (laughs) no she could have very easily and and none of what i'm going to say i'm am i going to make a judgment call on i'm i'm just saying what she could have yeah she could have put it down and said well sweetie um if you need me 
uh, I'll be right out there <laughs> and then walked away. If, if her mom was an avoidant personality type, she could have very easily done mm-hmm. that. Her mom could have said, hey, I've never seen you draw anything like this or, yeah. or act like this before. Would you like to talk about it? Would have been a, probably a very healthy and yeah. open and inviting thing. Um, she could have even, if she would have taken that and been slightly more <laughs> aggressive, could have been like, hey, um, what's this? Yeah. Um, but instead, May's mom goes all the way and is like, what did they do to yeah. you? And while well, she's trying to tell them, they did nothing. I just drew these pictures. This well, absolutely nothing. And-, and, and we find out later why she did that. Um, we find out later that, um, so May's grandmother and May's mom uh, had a, we find out later in the movie, had a very terse relationship in the teenage years to where they don't really talk much mm-hmm. anymore. And so as, as the movie continues, we find out that what went wrong was uh, May's mom liked May's dad and it led to a fight between them and while May's mom was a panda, spoiler alert, uh, yeah. <laughs> all the women in this family deal with this, um, she hurt her mom. And in that, destroyed that relationship. Mm-hmm. And May is terrified of, or May's mom is terrified of her daughter doing what she did. Yeah. And so now she's so protective. That she yeah. is going to control she, every step that May does. Yeah, she was refusing to acknowledge that May was growing up. She still said, no, you're too young for this. Yeah. You know, and she's like, mom, I'm 13. Um, yeah. And it was, it wasn't that her mom was putting boundaries. Because boundaries can be, can be and often yeah. are very, yeah. very helpful and good. The problem is that for, for May's mom, it's not a dialogue it's it's a it's an iron fence. Yeah. And she's not she's not telling her daughter what her intention is with the boundary. She's not it's never a discussion. It's just the boundaries exist and that's how you're going to live. Yeah. And again, the time capsule that is this movie um, in, in its setting, the movie's a modern movie, but it, it's setting being right. 2002. Um, I know that my parents and your parents both grew up in an era where they had been raised on that method of communicating of if you're going to set rules you set them and and the kids obey them because that's how their parents had had raised them and and a lot of that was something that i know i watched my parents struggle with and and figuring out and and a lot of parents struggle with of do, do I become an authoritarian? I, I, I've heard some parents brag about being dictators to their family. Yeah. And um, and it's this struggle of of how, how do I take this human being who has thoughts, emotions, desires, and choices all their own, and how do I, how do I shape them and, and mold them and direct them? And, and then there are people asking the question, should you shape them and direct them? And, and there's this craziness that parents have to go through and and May's mom is just I'm I'm gonna hold the line I'm gonna hold the line we're we're gonna be a healthy family we we run this uh we run this shrine uh to the to the family again Asian family with strong historic context we're gonna hold the line to this family tradition and how we we do things and and this is how it's gonna work and May May just wants to be a teenage girl. Yeah, she wants she, to hang out with her friends. She wants to hang out with her friends. She wants to chase boys. She wants to go to concerts. She wants to dance dumb. Yeah. She wants to be a 13-year-old yeah. girl. And this this movie does a really interesting thing as, as the story progresses of... There, there's some awkward parts. There, there are parts I don't love as much as others um, in that it kind of, it swings away from it being a dialogue into total freedom. Yeah. And, she completely rebels against her mom. Yes. After the, after and, the 
part with the convenience store. And and that's honestly natural in a yeah. lot of ways, but it never comes back to they never meet in the middle. Yeah. And 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 that's that's the one disappointing thing I have about about turning red is that it's never a it's never a compromise. It's more of a an acceptance between the two that this is just how things will be. Yeah. And if that's the dynamic, okay. Yeah. Uh, sometimes there are dynamics where that's how it works. Um, what I wanted to for May and her mom was I wanted May's mom to have the moment where she voluntarily tells her daughter her story. Yeah. And the way the movie happens is May's mom's story is basically spilled out to May. Not with her mom giving it to her, but with it just spilling out. Yeah. And, and May goes, okay, I, I get that you had a hard time, but this is what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I would have loved to have seen May's mom volunteer that and for them to have a moment of, hey, I know this is hard. And for mom to, to break that shell yeah. and say, I know this is hard. I, I know you want to do stuff, but I also, I don't want to lose you. I don't want to. I don't want you to go completely off the rails. So can we compromise? Yeah. I would have loved to have seen more compromise. Yeah. Uh, but with that said, it's a it's a peachy Pixar movie. Yeah. Um, and if I had a nickel for every movie where "Follow Your Dreams" was the end, <laughs> what's the end message? Uh, I'd have a lot of nickels. So yeah. I I will say I I enjoyed it. Was yeah. was there anything else that stood out to you as as we wind down? turning red um sorry i'm thinking and the audio can't pick up my facial expressions while i'm thinking but um yeah i just uh yeah, i'm trying to think a lot of dialogue has happened here yes <laughs> um keep vamping yeah so as they uh Her and her mom try to, throughout the movie, this is really bad coming out of my mouth. Um, you know, as she's being, trying to figure out who she is, and of course all of a sudden her grandmother finds out, like, oh, she started turning into a panda, we've got to, and the, their thought in that is they've got to stop the panda, they got to separate the panda from the child. Yes. And they only have one chance to do it. Um, and so they put fear tactics into her mm -hmm. to keep her, cause like the more you turn into a panda, then the less chance that this will work. So keep your panda under control. And that's when the control started happening where they wouldn't, they said no to going to concerts and when they were trying to, mm -hmm. they were trying to rip, rein her in where, and then she just started sneaking out cause she wanted to be with her friends. She wanted to be a normal girl. Mm-hmm. And she realized that she was popular as a panda. Yeah. Which that surprised her when they started realizing, when her friends started realizing she could turn into a red panda. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, so there was a lot of that, which that's, I, I do think that it, it's not something from my past. I was not a normal teenage girl. So, sorry, I'm, I'm going to hold you for one yes. second. We are about to run, run out, out of, of recording space. Do you have at least three more minutes worth of something to talk. If you do, I'm going to stop us right now and we'll come right back. Probably. Okay. <laughs> we will be right back uh, after a short break. When we come back, Betsy will continue her thought. And we're back. Betsy, right. go. So, as I was saying, I was not a normal teenager and that I was not one I never snuck out of the house I didn't do stuff like that but I also didn't have friends that you know would do stuff yeah. like that but that was just that was me and I know I was not normal um but I think her reaction especially like I said after after her mom humiliated and embarrassed her um 
so she, and she <laughs> she goes to school the next day after like all this stuff and then their mom's like oh my gosh she's getting her period because she's like freaking out yeah and so then she goes to school and she figures she on her own figured out how to this was before her mom knew that she was turning into a panda yes. and she figured out on her own how to calm herself to not be a panda and so yeah. she's still trying to figure out what's going on with her she has not told her mom because she's still mad at her mom that she turned into a panda yeah um and uh, so she's at school well her mom comes to the school and the guard at the school is trying to tell her she has to go away and she's like but she forgot something she forgot something and uh, she gets up to the window of her classroom and she holds up a box of maxi pads. She's like, you forgot your pads. And of course now everybody at school is making fun of her. Yeah. And so that's when she turns into a panda in front of her mom. Um, oh, where was I going with that? Uh, but that was just kind of, I thought that was kind of funny. But once again, I feel like it's normalizing a period. It's, girls get periods yeah it's okay that people know yeah um no i in the end like her mom ended up while they were trying to separate the panda she made a decision in the middle of this ceremony um that she liked the panda yeah though they were telling her having the panda was bad and dangerous she needed to keep it separate she all of a sudden chose to keep it mm -hmm. which of course once again made everybody else freak out and like when they separate the panda that panda is kept in some sort of charm that that yeah. person wears for the rest of their life keeps with them yeah there's a lot of uh eastern yeah. uh mysticism in that yeah uh so her mom's broke yeah along with yeah just her mom's at that point and so she became this ginormous red panda. Yes. Um, like Godzilla size. Yes. And just followed her realizing she ran away to the concerts. Because at one point she she threw her friends under the bus saying that her friends were the ones that wanted her to be a panda, not her. Yeah. Um, so she's trying to make up with her friends in that running away to the concert and getting in there. Um, but just the the fallout from all of that, I think in the end, as like her mom, her aunt, her grandmother, all they like they all end up breaking their pendants because they needed to help her mom get back in to be reeled back in so yes. that they could do the ceremony for her mom, which doesn't make sense when they said it can only be done once and now they're doing it whatever. Um. <laughs> it, it is what is called a leap in logic. Yeah. And yeah. and for the sake of a film. The, this was this was theirs anyway um so as they were all going in there to be separated once again from their pandas as her mom was going in you know i think that's when without talking they came to that that okay you know her mom's like please just come with me in this and then she's like i can't and then her mom looks just like i know and so her mom walks through this mirror thing to separate herself from the panda while she stays back. Um, but in the end, it like their bond becomes strong again. Um, and I do, I do like that. You know, her mom was now respecting her boundaries a little bit more. Yes. Um, giving her the freedom to be like, hey, my friends really want to go sing karaoke. Something that every time her friends invited her, she's like, I can't, I have to do this. And so she's like, my friends want to, I want to go sing karaoke with my friends. And so instead of stifling her and saying, this ancestry thing is more important, you have to be here with me. Mm -hmm. She's like, all right, you can go. I'll drive you. Mm -hmm. Let's go. And so that kind of helped them on the road to recovery. Yes. In that and working on, and I feel like there was great, you know, I know some people have said that there was never any resolution for the um, like her rebellious. There was no. I feel like that's a moot point that she did. I don't know. But I I think and this is what I mentioned before. I think that the thing there is a 
is a conceit that's common to most Disney movies, yeah. at, at least since the 80s. Yeah. Because... I was thinking The Little Mermaid was one where be, they never... The Little Mermaid, she, she and her dad never really... Yeah. ...deal with anything other than, well, you've made this decision, I, I love you anyway. Yeah. It, it, it's never a conversation where they come to a compromise. It's the parents come to acceptance. Yeah. And that's a pretty common story in most modern Disney yes. films. And it's why I was like, eh, at the end of the day, it. it's yeah. at the end of the day, that that's just kind of the pattern. But they, they did, I think, it, I feel like in the end, they did gain a mutual respect for each other and each mm -hmm. other's choices. Her mom chose in that, in that moment to once again separate from the panda because she she knew she could not control her panda. Well, it was it was her not her knowing that she couldn't, but also um, she didn't want it. Yeah. Whereas whereas for for May May wants it and can't. Yeah. And and that's the. I think that's the the dialogue there is yeah. hey i know you can't but i'm not you yeah or i know you can but i'm not you yeah and um really if if there's a if there's a good message that i like from this movie it's uh uh talk to your loved ones and uh and communicate and understand that they're not you yeah and you're not them yeah Overall, I really enjoyed this movie. Um, I feel like I have to nitpick to find things I didn't like. And I feel like if, you know, as we are in the adoption process and everything, if we did get placed with a little girl um, about the time they're six or seven, I think is when I would pull this movie out. I'd, I'd probably feel more comfortable around seven or eight, but... Yeah, maybe get some family history on her mom yes. before. Just to know when, like... When her her mom started, you, you don't want to you don't want to start too early, but you don't want right. to start late. Right, and I I do think there is there is an age appropriateness oh, yeah. this, for this. If if this is a a PG, it means there is something in it that is probably not appropriate for all movies. Yeah. So, as as with most movies, uh, this one falls into that rating guideline, yeah. gets the PG, and I go okay. And I don't, what every what's in the movie that. Fun. What's in the movie that they thought wouldn't be appropriate for everyone? If yeah. a movie's rated G, I'm like, okay, I, I can put this on for a, a two-year-old and they're going to be fine. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, I like it. And I I like that it deals with that and it makes it normal. And it gets that dialogue started for, for if, you know, the I, little girl. I whatever. think it opens more dialogue than just the physical part, yeah. though. I think it opens in an interesting dialogue uh, just for relationship as you enter a new period where you're gonna again pun intended uh, where you're gonna <laughs> where you're gonna think of you're gonna think of things differently yeah because when you cross into that that weird crossroads of childhood adolescence adulthood think about my parents the same way I know you didn't think about your parents the same yeah. way you don't think about anything the same way yeah. sometimes you just don't think because you're a teenager <laughs> yeah. but what you can initiate in the conversation as you watch a movie like this with with a six seven eight year old is hey I know you're you're moving into this period and it, it kind of moves you into the conversation around uh, around puberty and opens it up to where it's not just the you're gonna be changing yeah and you're gonna you're gonna need to use deodorant more and, and for mm -hmm. girls you're gonna need to wear a bra and once a month god is gonna yeah. just smite you <laughs> um but it becomes more of hey there's a lot of changes coming and what i want you to know as those changes come and it could be as simple a conversation as this I am here for you. Yeah. I am in your corner. And there might be stuff that happens that you feel embarrassed by. Don't be embarrassed. Please come to me. Yeah. Please, please know that I'm a safe person. Yeah. Please, please know it's okay. Absolutely. And just, and having that conversation and hey, there's going to come a time where maybe you don't like me or trust me. Let me show you the people that you are safe to talk with. 
Yeah. Let me show you the people. And, and, and if I say no to something and it's something you really want to do, let's have some ground rules for how we talk to each other. Yeah. And it's setting up systems. I think this movie is a good gateway to conversation. Yeah. And I think that's the thing I, I like the most about this. This isn't my favorite Disney yeah. movie or, or Disney animated thing, but I know about halfway through you said you were having a hard time connecting to the character, but it's because you're not a 13 year old girl. Yeah, and but you, but you still enjoyed the movie. No, I appreciated the movie for what it was and what it was trying to be. Yeah. Um, what what I see it being though, is especially if we have a, a girl um, that we adopt, is this is a this is a gateway to conversations. Yeah. And hard thing for biological or adoptive kids is converse, conversations with your parents and I am 36 years old and one of the hardest things for me to do is to talk to my mom or dad. Mm-hmm. I know my mom's probably listening yeah. to this right now and, and uh, all you got to do is call. Uh, you, it's not that simple. Yeah. Um, but I have a hard time talking to most people. Yeah. Um, but it's always hard talking to the people who who were your parents for so long and that relationship is constantly changing even after you get out of the house that relationship is constantly changing and having conversation gateways is nice because it's a I don't feel like I'm looking for a door when the door is right there yeah um because as you get older, there's all sorts of fences that go up that are that are hard to get past. Whether it's politics or your views on any number of things that are opposed. And at the end of the day, it's not worth fighting over. Yeah. So you stay away from those conversations and then you get around to, well, it's nice weather we got outside. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is an icky day outside, so it's not that right now. Um, <laughs> right. But I do like this movie for that. Yeah. Is that I think that if there's if there's a girl in this house that we're bringing up, that that's going to be a way for you to sit down and go, hey, how'd that make you feel? What do you think about that? Yeah. Hey, when stuff starts happening, do you do you feel like you can talk to me, or do you feel like I'm you you start a dialogue? So. Anyway, that's turning red, and I give it two thumbs up. Okay. <laughs> I loved it. In, in the consistency with our rating scale that we've never established that's right. before. That's right. All right. I give it one and a half thumbs up. Okay. All right. We're going to take a short break. Uh, when we come back, we're going to be talking about Loki. See you in a minute. talking about the Norse god of mischief, at least the uh, Marvel Norse god of mischief, <laughs> Loki, um, talking about the back half of the first season of the Disney Plus event show. So, I remember you saying that this wasn't your favorite. Yeah. Has your opinion changed at all? Did this move the needle for you at all? No. It's still says the same place. Okay. Okay. <laughs> It's not, I didn't hate it. I just, it's just not. You didn't say you hated it before, yeah. but I was just curious if, sorry, we're eating cookies that <laughs> Betsy made. I was curious if uh, coming in, knowing what you had seen before uh, had changed it at all. And that's okay. So I really enjoyed this. Um, Again, I like this show because it kind of feels like Marvel's take on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. It reminds me a lot of Doctor Who, actually. Um, but Tom Hiddleston and Owen Wilson are amazing through the whole show. Um, I Gugu uh, Mbatha uh, Raw, if I butchered that, I apologize, um, <laughs> is fantastic as the... Uh, the human head of the TVA. 
and then um, Jonathan Majors as He Who Remains at the end of the show. I have to be honest, his performance, I think he's in the show for a grand total of 30 minutes, maybe less, steals the show and makes me, it made me look up everything he'd done and just be like, okay, I've got some watching to do. Yeah. And, uh, so the back half of the show, the, the fourth episode, uh, called the, I gotta pull up my notes here, vamping, vamping, the <laughs> Nexus event, uh, after they missed the the ships, uh, Sylvie and Loki, are stuck on this doomed planet. It's about to blow up. Uh, they start getting kind of cozy together. They're about to make out, and all of a sudden, a door opens, and they are back in the TVA. Mm-hmm. Separated, interrogated. Uh, eventually, uh, Owen Wilson, Mobius, I'm just going to keep calling him Owen Wilson because it's a lot easier to say. Uh, figures out Loki's telling the truth. Things are wrong. Everyone inside the uh, TVA is a variant. Uh, they weren't just designed to be TVA agents. And so, he stages a jailbreak. Owen Wilson, Loki, and Sylvie are all going to try to take down the... Uh... Let me make sure I've got, again... Titles are important, apparently. The Timekeepers. I wanted to say Time Lords, but that's Doctor Who. Yeah. Um, so, uh, Owen Wilson is uh, pruned from the timeline. Um, right after giving an impassioned speech, Loki and Sylvia are brought before the Timekeepers. Um, they break out, and Sylvie decapitates one of the Timekeepers, only for them to find out they're androids, robots. Um, Loki is pruned from the timeline, and episode four ends. But not before we get an end credit sequence where Loki wakes up in a strange place surrounded by variants of himself, including one that's wearing a very comic-accurate Loki costume. <laughs> and an alligator. Well, that's not the later. Nope, the alligator's there. Oh, the alligator's there, okay. Going to episode five, titled... Need to just not turn this thing off. <laughs> uh, episode five, Journey into Mystery, which uh, for anyone paying attention to Marvel Comics is the title of the original four comic book. It's also in recent era uh, the title of the book that Loki stars in. Um, so uh, Renslayer, that's the judge played by Gugu and Batha Raw, um, guides uh, Sylvie around she's like hey uh i guess you're right we'll we'll look up the information on the tva's uh founding um but she's stalling for time sylvie to make sure she doesn't get captured prunes herself meanwhile in the uh we'll just call it the end of time um the variants of loki um are all traveling around all talking about their histories and this weird place that they're in is like where everything that doesn't belong in the natural timeline gets sent. So you've got Easter eggs galore. Excuse me. You've got a Stark Tower. You've got uh, a Thanos copter. Uh, one of the first times Thanos appeared in the comic uh-huh. books, he was riding in this helicopter. And... Uh, there's a frog Thor, uh, voiced by Chris Hemsworth, by the way. Um, and all of this happens leading up to the reuniting of Owen Wilson, Sylvie, and Loki. As they determine what they need to do is they need to get to this creature that devours everything that goes to this end place in order to be able to get to... Uh, who's really in control of the TVA. And so, eventually, uh, they're able to 
utilizing the, the old comic accurate Loki, um, they're able to enchant this beast and they're able to escape into what comes next. Episode six, I believe is called He Who Remains. I'm gonna verify that real quick. Nope, for all time always, yep. uh, which is the slogan of the TVA. Uh, Sylvie and Loki arrive at uh, the very end of time. Uh, after a really cool pre-title sequence where we kind of zoom through the universe and zoom out uh, through some really cool uh, Superman, the movie style <laughs> sequence uh, where we zoom out in the universe. We hear dialogue from throughout the MCU. Um, and we get to this, all of the energy from the universe kind of forming this bar of light that goes into this basically floating island with a castle. And we can assume that this is the sacred timeline. And Sylvie and Loki get to this castle. They're met by Miss Minutes, the cartoon clock that's been traveling throughout the show. Um, and she's like, congratulations, you made it to the end. Uh, hey, if you just do what we want you to, we'll give you exactly, exactly what you want. And, uh, it's very Wizard of Oz. It's like, okay, I'd rather see behind the curtain. Thanks. And so at this point we are introduced to He Who Remains, played by Jonathan Majors. And it's at this point that I have to gush about Jonathan Majors' performance in this and just him as an actor in general. So, he is a young man, uh, uh, hasn't been acting incredibly long, but oh my gosh, he's good. Just really, really good. Uh, in this, uh, in The Harder They Fall, he is magnificent. Um, but he comes in, uh, he's playing a a live-action version of a character called Immortus. They never name him in this, but that is his, that's who he's portraying. Okay. Um, really long, convoluted storyline. Immortus is a variant of a character that is a descendant of a member of the Fantastic Four. And, uh, he is also a variant of a classic Avengers villain who is due to make his first appearance in the next Ant-Man movie. Um, a villain called Kang the Conqueror. Okay. And Jonathan Majors just chews up scenery as he who remains um, basically tells uh, Sylvie and Loki, uh, even as they try to kill him and can never get hands on him, uh, hey, this is what the TVA is. Uh, the TVA is something I formed to uh, keep everything on a single timeline. At one time, there were a bunch of me, and we all fought. Uh, we all fought, and there was a while there where it was touch and go, and we thought the universe was going to cease to exist. But at the end, it was me. And uh, in order to make sure that things didn't get that way again, I formed the TVA to keep things on a single line. And as long as things were on a single line, we could see where things were coming, where things were going, and keep things under control. You know, it's not perfect, but it's it was going to work. Everything was going to keep going. And they ask him, why, why stop? Why now? Why? He goes, because I want to give you my job, because I'm older than I look, and I'm tired. And, uh, and I want to move on. And... Uh, as someone who's leaving leaving his job now, it's um, I, I felt that <laughs> sentence in a way that I it's hard to explain to someone. It's like it's it's time to move on. I'm tired. I've I, I'm ready to go. Something different. Yeah, it's uh, it's it's really funny that that came out a few months into last year and the the great resignation was in full swing that it was very it was very funny to me that but we uh we get the scene where he, he basically spells out what he wants he's like look here's the deal one of two things is going to happen in just a second um 
either you do what I'm asking and, and I get to know my legacy is secure and everything's fine and and I retire and you guys take over or you kill me, you unleash the multiverse and we're going to end up right back here because the same thing will happen all over again. Mm-hmm. And, and it's this moment of truth between... And, and then he has this moment where he kind of looks around kind of disoriented. And he's like, look, I, I told you a small fib earlier where I told you I knew everything. He was like, I knew everything up until just a few seconds ago. I have no idea what you're going to do now. It's, it's on you. It, it's yours now. And, uh, and at this point, Loki and Sylvie start fighting. Um, because she wants to murder this guy who manipulated everything and led to her entire life of being on the run. Meeting the last bite of cookies. Huh? <laughs> and I, I might not be the most talkative, but this is an audio uh, format, so I kind of have to keep talking, and this isn't something that you're you're really driving, so I'm going to keep right. talking. Um. Loki, in the meantime, knows that Bobby. she's activated, and she doesn't Sorry. have a tale to tell us. The cat just bit me, that's all. Um, you can't see what just happened. Come on. Come on. I was just petting Yeah, I know. You're activated. Okay. We're going to move that way. Um, but Loki has seen the way everything has functioned thus far, and he knows that if they... If they unleash something that's worse than what they were in, they could do irreparable damage to everything. And at this point, he doesn't want that. He's he's grown as a character, and and it's something I really I really enjoy about this arc for this particular Loki, because he's not the Loki that we saw in the movies that. At the end, he tries to do the noble thing, but dies in the process. This this Loki is he wants to do something different than than his path, and it's the reason that he wanted to fight the TVA because he saw his fate, and he saw what he was doing, and he was he saw his own cruelty, and he saw. Even his own failing to to do something meaningful in his final moments, and he wants to redeem that. He wants to change it and, and do something better. And so here, in this moment where they're at the end of time, and they're dealing with the guy who is telling them, "Hey, this is this is how it works," and he's met this other version of himself that. The, the joke that Owen Wilson makes in episode 5 is that Loki's a colossal narcissist and he has fallen in love with himself. <laughs> um, but the, the truth is, he has fallen in love with this variant, Sylvie, and he actually wants good for her and doesn't want her to continue being uh, a murderer and on the run. He wants something better for her. Yeah. And so... Even as they fight, he is always taking the defensive moves as she attacks, and eventually he throws down his sword. He's like, look, we can leave. We don't have to do this. And she tears up, and she kisses him, and then she throws him through a portal back to the TVA. And then she kills he who remains. And he doesn't respond in panic uh, or fear. He just says, I'll... I'll see you soon. And then we go back to the TVA. We see chaos is going on. Uh, uh, Owen Wilson and B-13, who's the the agent who'd who'd been woken up uh, by Sylvie in episode three, are trying to deal with the diverging timelines because the minute that everything happens, all of the branches start forming everywhere. We're seeing this crazy multiverse form. And then Loki goes and tries to find Owen Wilson, and he finds him, 
but Owen Wilson doesn't recognize him. And it's at this moment we realize he is not in the same universe. (laughs) And then he looks up, and where there were giant statues of the uh, timekeepers, now there's a giant statue of he who remains. And it's at this moment that the episode ends, and the season's over, and everything's going crazy in the multiverse. Now... We are about to get a movie called uh, Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Now, concurrently with this film, or with this miniseries, you can put WandaVision, the very end of WandaVision where she becomes the Scarlet Witch, you can line up the moment where she accepts that identity with the point where he who remains gets really disoriented and I believe there's another moment but you can line those sections of film up and it's this giant cataclysm in the universe where everything just kind of diverges and it's really neat it um one it's it's really cool to consider from a comic book perspective I've I've been popping on Marvel Unlimited fairly regularly recently (laughs) to to read comic books but uh seeing all the the weird timey-wimey stuff in a very Doctor Who type way yeah. um, and seeing it play out in Spider-Man No Way Home when we got the multiple Spider-Man and, and the multiple dimensions of Spider-Man villains all on screen at the same time and all of this is kind of going to come to a head in Multiverse of Madness in May um, that's a lot of M's um, <laughs> I'm excited to see a, what they do with it. Um, there's a part of me that that's that's having a, a little bit of fatigue with with all the cameos of everything coming together in in these projects. I'm I'm interested for what the cameos and the neat things are, just because I want to see people from the 2000s movies in in a in a modern Marvel movie and yeah. and see what they do with that. What I'm more interested to see than that, though, is using all of the, and I'm going to put air quotes around this and I'm saying them out loud, logic. I'm looking forward to the logic that they use to explain what the new status quo is for what's going ahead in these movies. Like, they've announced that we're going to at some point get x-men and mutants we're gonna have the fantastic four we're gonna have all these properties that marvel hasn't had the rights to for ages and and they haven't been able to make their own movies of and i'm very interested to see all right how do you make sense of this and how do you tie this into the multiverse and how do you make it make any sense in a movie not a tv series and so i'm i'm interested to see what that is um, what I really, really liked about this show in particular, though, was um, telling a story effectively about a villain, redeeming that villain somewhat by the end, but the end confrontation was not heroes versus villains, but three villains in a room. And it was a villain who was tired after having one. It was a villain of who was tired of losing, um, and it was a villain that wanted to win at all costs. And all three of them have these different motivations, and it's this great dynamic in in a room with three actors, a fairly limited set, some some atmospheric light lighting, but it's this great drama. You could almost put it on as a stage play, and it would work. Yeah. And I want to see more crazy stuff like that. Yeah. And and it's what excites me about upcoming TV series more than the movies. The movies are exciting because they're fun. They're big screen spectacle. Um, But these TV series get to have these quiet moments that can kind of stretch out for longer because you can have between six and nine hour long episodes and you you can say whatever you want. You can take your time. I love that. I'm I'm learning I like movies with talking. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Anyhow, 
Uh, that's all I've got for Loki. Do you have anything you want to say about it other than I'm glad you liked it? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that you really enjoyed it. Okay. I, <laughs> I enjoyed going through the process with you. It's just not one that, you're that not, grabs me. I'm. It's okay. Most of the comic book stuff we watch, yeah, I not, know you're not in it because you want to watch it. Yeah. You're in it because you know I And I enjoy them. I enjoy the ride with them, but... Yeah, they're not, you know, they're not my choice. It's know? it's not what you would pick. Right. So, it's okay. Uh, we might be back in a minute. We might not. If this is the end of the podcast, I hope you'll join us next week. If there's more after this, well, uh, you'll have to stick around and find out. <laughs> Regardless, we've got more stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm not going to give week-by-week plans or even episode-by-episode plans. Instead, I'm going to st- say hang around. Uh, around May, we will be reviewing Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Um, there is a Lord of the Rings TV series coming out in September we'll be talking about, along with re-reviewing the Lord of the Rings films. And uh, outside of that, we're going to keep coming at you with various things that tickle our fancy. So, uh, if this is the end of the episode, I'll see you next week. And if not, uh, stick around for some bonus. All right. Bye. Have a great week. (laughs)